Welcome to a bonus episode. Another well, one. There is your problem. Second one recording today because we fucking suck at doing bonus yeah, episodes. We are genuinely pretty sorry for this. Yeah. Our subject today is Geodude. That's he right. He is strong. He is real. He is our friend. And the friend of President Obama. This yes. is true. Uh, yes. Where was Geodude the night of the, the morning of September 11th? Where mm. he was trying to stop the terrorists. Oh, poor bro- oh, martyred, martyred, martyred Geodude. Peace upon his soul. <laughs> I, I think it was in poor taste for Geodudes to say, to do the Mark Wahlberg thing of being like, yo, if I'd been on those planes, <laughs> it would have been a different story. But it literally would have. <laughs> Well, yeah, Geodude would have been there. He was the only survivor of Flight 93. Um, he lived on account of being a rock. <laughs> no, he survived Flight 11, clutching two of the hijackers' passports as he fell to VC, uh, VC Street. <laughs> did, you, did you see the, the person? I uh, All are just getting, oh, I'm airing my grievances. This was actually a fun one. Someone on uh, Twitter was like, there's no way, well, there's your problem, isn't an op, right? Like, three smart people should know that there were definitely explosives in the World Trade Center. And I was like, normally we just get called, like, mean names or something. This was actually funny. Well, yeah, because they figured uh, out we're an off. <laughs> there were explosives in the World Trade Center. Those explosives were in the form of large amounts of aircraft parts striking structural steel beams and <sighs> then being set on fire. Um, you know, and most of the damage would, uh, we have a whole episode on this go away. All right. So, uh, no, we're talking about geoengineering today. Um, and geoengineering is a subject I've wanted to cover for a while because I think it's very funny. It's when you dig in like the dirt, right? No, oh. you're thinking of geotechnical engineering. And a lot of people, when I said geoengineering, they thought I meant geotechnical engineering. Geotechnical engineering is soil science, which I, don't know enough to talk about um and honestly i don't think anyone does because most of that science has not been really fully fleshed out until like the 1980s right mm. arcane magic it is honestly it's more of an art than a science and you know if you if you say that in a, a, a geotechnical engineering class you'll get they'll, they'll get mad at you but you know i think factually it is it is kind of a it's a very complex subject, but what we're going to talk about is geoengineering, right? Geoengineering is trying to reverse climate change using engineering. Oh, right? hell yes. We're, we're trying to use the raw power of science to reverse climate change rather than alter our personal habits or you know so on and so forth right i like this already better living through technology i can roll i can roll coal so long as i'm driving with a trailer that sucks the coal back out of the air you can have a chemical romance (laughs) (laughs) when i was a young boy my father took me to see All right, so I wanted. I think we need to start this bonus episode by talking about a. We're going to use the Socratic method, which is what is nature, right? No, uh, it's it's like a profusion of forms and forms of forms. Yes, there's like nature is like something which is there's sort of a very very much a a definition of it in popular culture, which is you know nature is somewhere that's untouched by you know humans. 
nature is like animals it's like trees it's like you know all, all this it's, kind of crap it's, right it's 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 outside it's outside uh, is the nature yeah yeah it, it's it's what you're supposed to go to when you log off yes yeah, so you go you go and you touch the grass right you go and you 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 touch the grass you see the tree you see like a, a sparrow and a squirrel maybe like i don't know those are mm. the two animals i usually see sometimes <laughs> i see like a gray cat bird if i'm lucky yeah, but you could see any number of things. You could see this cool moose. You could, yes, see, you could see a moose, a fish. You could see this fish. Sometimes a bear. See, here's mm-hmm. here's the uh, here here's a desert. That's nature. Here's a glacier. Here's a swamp. Here's the Appalachian Mountains. Oh wait, what am I seeing here? That's farms. This is a natural <laughs> landscape which has been sculpted by man. Right? Shit. Fuck. Yes. And that's one of the one of the things about a lot of nature is we've had a huge amount of influence over it over time to, to the point where, you know, what we consider nature now is not necessarily that natural, right? Sure. Mm. Especially in like places that have been hab- inhabited by industrial civilization for a long, long time. I, I'm, you know, concentrated industrial civilization. I'm talking about Europe mostly there, right? Um you know, oh, yeah. and, and, all of and, the and, beautiful bare mountains of the Scottish Highlands that are just deforested. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we have to ask another question: Is nature good? Uh, is there a, is there a good to nature? Right? For most of human history, nature has been bad. <laughs> um, our 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 opinion towards nature has been that nature is bad, right? Yeah. Um, nature was annoying. It was full of animals that could kill you. There were like lions in like Germany that were just eating people. You mm-hmm. know, it was it was it was fucking shit, right? E- even uh, when you develop an animist belief system where you're like, this rock is spiritually important and has like a soul or whatever, it's still something that is dangerous and has to be respected and placated. Exactly. Um, you know, I, we see evidence of this, you know, going back to the Bible, right? And, you know, Isaiah 40, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse four, uh, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight. The rough places plain, you know, that people were pissed off at nature. They just wanted a flat radial plane they could farm on. Right. Yeah. That was that was clearly <laughs> written by a guy who had done a lot of walking in sandals. Yes. Yeah, he'd done a lot of walking in sandals. He Uphill, had a farm both he ways. Had, <laughs> he had a farm. He was digging boulders out with a plow. You know, he's really, really pissed off. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so ancient people thought nature was a pain in the ass, as did a lot of medieval people, right? Attitudes towards this don't really change until sort of the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And we get the beginning of, you know, some of these literary philosophical movements like romanticism transcendentalism you know stuff like that you got uh, henry david thoreau and walden you know stuff like that and then it's like some kind of romantic sort of um idea of nature that develops (laughs) once you have enough like uh reliable heat light and waterproofing then because people are perverse little monkeys some of us go actually it's good to be outside where the rain and the cold and the dark are exactly I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to this pond that's just outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna talk about how how fucking r- romantic nature it is. While I also get my mom to come out there to do my laundry, <laughs> right? You know, take a rugged individualism and shove it up your ass. Exactly. Mm. Um, 
so you know romanticism is is a thing sort of in the early 19th century early to mid 19th century but it's eventually replaced by modernism mm. right um and modernism as a philosophy says basically you know technology can and will solve problems and improve human lives man can bend nature to his will yeah as opposed to the sort of medieval view, which is God has given us this stuff to conquer and bend mm. to our will. Yeah. It's specifically just we have to do this with technology rather we than. Are, we are going to do this with technology. Mm -hmm. And to a large extent, we did it too. Mm. Um, you know, nature, you know, has a set of resources that can be exploited as man sees fit. And for a while, this works really well. This is, um, this is the Croton Dam which uh, was one of the earlier dams that supplies New York City with water. Um, I say modernism philosophically, not like modernist architecture, right? Yeah. Because this is, um, obviously, there's some uh, classical influences on the dam itself. You know, I, architecture always lags behind the philosophy. Um, you know, but mm. this, is, this is a thoroughly modernist structure in that it's a large dam that, you know, retains water for... A, a, a plumbing system that goes several hundred feet underground and then pops back up in the largest city in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. And they did that in like 1870-something. It's beautiful. It's an incredible structure. I mean, the whole New York City water system is, is incredible. Uh, mm -hmm. I also saw some pictures of this right after Hurricane Ida, and this was just like just, just water just everywhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, what what hath God wrought? What do we do with this modernism? Ruined everything. Well, well, modernism, I I, I think is um not the whole of the problem, but you know, humans change nature dramatically, and we started doing this well before you know the modernist period, right? And there's obvious things like you know agriculture, right? Dams, locks, cities, you know, stuff like that. And you have sort of less obvious things where you alter the climate in an uncontrolled and non-deliberate way, right? Mm. Um, I think sure. a good ex good example of this is the um, Colombian Exchange, right? So, Colombian Exchange, of course, the colonists um, arrived in North America. One of the things they had was smallpox, right? And um, now there's an extent to which smallpox spread naturally. There was also an extent to which Smallpox was deliberately spread to Native Americans um, by colonists, right? But, you know, the smallpox sort of ripped through Native populations uh, sort of in advance of the actual spread of uh, European colonizers throughout North America, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of wipes whole mm -hmm. civilizations off the map. Their agriculture collapsed, right? Uh, Native trees and plants took over the former fields where they had previously been. Uh, growing, you know, the um, three sisters, right? Your squash, your beans, your maize. As these fields were overtaken by nature, uh, you know, uh, new plants sucked CO2 out of the atmosphere, right? This led to a prolonged period of global cooling we now call the Little Ice Age. This is at least one theory as to why it happened. Interesting. I think a more uh, another interesting uh, caveat to that is it, some people theorize that the Black Death is actually what started the Little Ice Age. And that was compounded because after the Black Death happened, uh, the Mississippians 
the Mississippian civilization, which, you know, was sort of around St. Louis, uh, collapsed because of several failed harvests. And then that compounded the problem, right? Um, hey, it's Justin in post-production. Uh, just dropping in to clarify something I explained in a confusing way. Um, so one theory about the disappearance of the Mississippian culture is that owing to reduced agricultural production in Europe because of the Black Plague, uh, native plants overtook those fields and those sucked CO2 out of the atmosphere. And the resulting global cooling affected harvests around the world, including the Mississippians, who suffered a uh, devastating civilizational collapse as a result. This is uh, one theory of many, of course. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened there. Um, yeah, it's and nobody actually knows for certain. Plus, a lot of like uh, American populations had just collapsed pre-contact anyway, right. and nobody really knows why. Um, the uh, the the uh, Pueblo uh, Indians uh, collapsed really early on, and they had a very advanced civilization. Um, but yeah, you have these these huge swaths of the earth are are completely have been for a very long time sculpted by man. Um, you have like the Jefferson grid. If you're in the United States, you go out west, you notice everything's one square mile blocks. That was something that that didn't arise naturally. Oh right? no! <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was it was one of our first large scale attempts at um changing the climate, right? Um, the logic being, well, Europe is cultivated and Europe has rain. Sure. Therefore, All right. <laughs> rain, rain follows the plow. Right. Um, and, and as it turned out, well, actually, no, once you get past the 100th meridian, you can't actually cultivate crops without irrigation. Right. Um, you, you start implementing policies to try and get people to settle west of the 100th meridian um, with the idea that, well, if we cultivate enough land, it will start raining. Uh, the heavens will just open, right? And we do that with uh, railroad land grants. We do this with Indian relocation. We do this with the Homestead Act. Uh, it didn't work, right? Uh, it clearly was not going to work. But we were trying to change the climate to suit our needs. Man, plans and God laughs. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why <laughs> <laughs> um, do we get drought as how? <laughs> and yeah, sort of in this vein, you know, the extent to which the humans have uh, humans have altered the earth and the biosphere, it's, it's difficult to imagine. You know, if, if you go to Europe, you see a picturesque landscape. It's artificial. It's human creation. Mm -hmm. If you go to, if you're in, especially Pennsylvania is a good example. You see yeah. some uh, forests in Pennsylvania. Those are entirely new growth because the uh -huh. whole state was cultivated, you know, as of like 1920 something. And actually a lot of uh, our current forest land is former farmland that was laid fallow. Um, Massachusetts is also like that. You know, actual honest to God wilderness. Very difficult to find. You got like, you know, Amazon rainforest. Well, not of. anymore. Yeah. The Canadian shield like the Kamchatka Peninsula or the Sahara Desert. You know, these are uh, most places that can sustain agriculture have been farmed at this point. And most places that, you know, humans can inhabit are inhabited by humans. We're, we're at sort of this end state where, you know, the wilderness that exists exists because 
we made it back into wilderness. Yeah. The, the land is not good. <laughs> right. Yeah. With that being said, we live in a thoroughly modernist world, right? Um, and one of the effects of this is, of course, we've, we've created this incredible externality uh, called carbon emissions, right? Um, mm. Right. So, so you're killing the planet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've heard of this. Yeah. Yes. I, I thought it was no big deal. As you know, it's whatever. Um, <laughs> we don't it, deserve yeah. to survive as a species anyway. So, you know, we're in the middle of this sort of mass extinction event. We're losing biodiversity. We're losing, we have lots of pollution. We have ecosystems collapsing. We have agriculture, which is largely unsustainable without the um, huge amounts of petrochemicals we can throw at it, right? Um, you know, and, 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 and we got microplastics. We got all this crap. We've made some. Significant we're progress. The frickin frogs gay, et cetera, we're turning the frogs gay, etc. We're turning the frogs gay. Yeah, we've got some pro- some progress was made on pollution in the sixties and seventies um, through the EPA, uh, especially the specific criteria pollutants. We've been doing very good on those, but CO two has not been addressed. CO two is a, a, a difficult one, right? Because CO two, carbon dioxide, it's a greenhouse gas, right? And I think we all know this. You know, it builds up in the atmosphere. Planet gets hotter. Uh, traps more heat in the atmosphere, right? Warms it up. It's also more difficult to address than a lot of other pollutants because sort of the basic activity of combustion produces CO2 by definition, right? You can't, this is a chemical which you can't, you know, easily exclude from any combustion process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, as CO2 builds up and melts the polar ice caps, it does all this crap, right? It makes the ocean more acidic, which is a fun one, which means all kinds of the, uh, the little tiny protists that make up the base of the food chain that can't survive, right? Every, everyone knows about this stuff. I, I, yeah, we start to get sort yeah. of unexpected and perverse feedback loops right. uh, where mm-hmm. we have massive jumps in emissions from things that have knock-on effects for other things. Uh, we, yes. we get a sort of like a, a thermal runaway almost, which is just fantastic to think about. Yeah, and this is this is something, of course, we're trying to address through clean energy, right? I'm I'm going to be honest. I I've become a little more optimistic about this problem than I used to be. Why is that? Just to, well, if you sort of look at you know the breakdown of greenhouse gas emissions, um, which we're seeing on the screen here. Uh, you know, we see transportation, electricity, industry, commercial and residential buildings, agriculture. Um, you know, you look at transportation, most of this is cars, mm. right? Electricity, most of this is coal and natural gas, right? Industry is actually mostly just natural gas, which is burned because it's more convenient than doing a process electrically. Commercial and residential, this is also natural gas mostly. Uh, and then agriculture is cows farting. Um, yeah. If you can make renewable energy cheaper than using natural gas directly, uh, I think a lot of these emissions disappear pretty quickly, huh. right? Um, but our 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 big our big issue is we're doing this not through some kind of command economy. We're doing it through the market, mm-hmm. right? Right. Which means. I think we're going to do it. (laughs) We'll get to net zero. We'll just do it in 2050 rather than, you know, a couple years from now, which is when it needs to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Climate Stalin or nothing. 
Exactly right. Yeah, we're 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 doing this much much too slowly to um you know sort of think about avoiding the worst effects of climate change. We're going to see all kinds of horrible nasty things happen. You know, like just constantly for the rest of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Which is um, great for us, even if we, you know, survive all of them, just for in terms of our uh, sort of general well-being. I know mm-hmm. I'm feeling great about it. You get you start a crack in your ping, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and this, this may be assisted by maybe a couple global catastrophes. Like, uh, some people think we, we hit peak oil in the... Um, in the pandemic, which may or may not be true, which would hopefully, you know, sort of um, assist in this drawdown on the carbon <laughs> economy. But um, you know, it would be. Uh, it's not. It's. It's. Uh, let me. Let me say. How do I say this? It's not killing the people who need to be killed. Mm. Well, yes. I, I mean, you know, we're we're we're. We have these wonderful cheap renewables now, and they've come too late. Is the issue right? Mm, okay. So anyway, we're 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 heading towards this sort of climate catastrophe, right? And we're not doing anything to mitigate it, or we are doing things to mitigate it, but too slowly. We have a question: Can we mitigate these problems using modernism? Ooh. Right, and the answer is maybe. <laughs> Through a process called geoengineering. What if we fuck with nature even more? Yes. Yes. So there's lots of different kinds of geoengineering, right? Geoengineering is um, using engineering to affect the climate in desirable ways, right? There's a few categories of geoengineering, but most of it fits in either solar geoengineering or carbon dioxide removal, right? And carbon yeah. capture is the one that we kind of bet everything on in theory. Like every <laughs> every climate target requires the future development urgently of very efficient carbon capture, just yeah, in order just, for us just, to ever meet it. You suddenly invent some kind of incredible carbon capture machine that will be economically viable. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But solar geoengineering is the less complicated one, generally speaking. Right? You block out some percentage of the energy we receive from the sun, right? And temperatures go down. That's nice and easy, right? There's a few ways to achieve this. Some of them are more practical than others, right? I I, I do favor the big sun shield theory. Big, big sun shield. <laughs> Dyson spheres everywhere. No, the Dyson sphere would do the reverse. Doesn't the Dyson sphere encapsulate, doesn't it encapsulate the sun? Yeah, it doesn't capture the sun. Yeah, to gen to like generate energy from it. Yeah, oh, but exactly. Okay, okay. I it's was like thinking, out, okay. it's like out at the orbit of like Pluto, though. Um. Uh, once again, I'll just go fuck myself. Wait, right. we would be trapped within the Dyson sphere. You Something know, oh, feeling yeah. quite claustrophobic now. You have to be inside the Dyson sphere in order to have sunlight. Would, would we like? Uh, Fuck, we're gonna have to put like a door in it or something if we ever want to get out of the solar system. Nice bay window. <laughs> have you ever watched you ever watch Spaceballs? No, yes. never. Yeah, with the uh really? with the, the, the really? planet that has the uh the big door that uh, the big airlock, you know? Um anyway. All right. So <laughs> that's the most disciplined I think I've ever heard him sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. 
Uh, don't worry this, about this it. This is this is this is you're insulting Jewish culture by not watching Spaceballs. And they say there's no anti-Semitism on the left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he deleted that, by the way. Good. That, that one went. That one went quick. I wonder why. Mm. All right. So now that we're done having Twitter beefs mid podcast, we'll never be done with that. Yeah, I, most- I never, I'm actually going to log into Roz's account today. And just start tweeting random people at Engineering Explained. You got small testes. Here to ex- Engineering Explained. <laughs> go, go go get go beef against um, uh, practical engineering. Nice, no, yeah. like a nice Fucking guy. Plainly difficult. Plainly <laughs> difficult to do. If, what talk to girls? If, <laughs> <laughs> no, if we're gonna have a beef with anyone, it's the B1M. I'm watching you. <laughs> Beefing with the chemical safety board. No, they're good. Chemical safety board is good. CSB, you a CS bitch. <laughs> so the simplest way to um uh do solar geoengineering to block out some of the sun is something called aerosol injection, right? Chemtrails. 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 Roz, you have to chant it with us so here's the idea you inject aerosols you know tiny particles into the upper atmosphere right these particles disperse and they block out a small amount of sunlight and that in turn lowers global temperatures right um and you do this through chemicals like sulfur dioxide or sulfuric acid right estradiol valerate finasterides uh spironolactone I, we're not. We're gonna force feminize the whole planet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I mean, some ideas of how how exactly you inject these aerosols. You know, some people say you got to do it with a big plane. You do it with a balloon. Some people think you can do it with artillery. Which is funny. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, artillery or I like chemtrail balloon. Yeah. Um, and this sort of mimics a natural process of blocking out the sunlight, which uh volcanoes also do right mm. uh so it'd be like a continuous volcanic eruption all around the world um all right yeah uh what has advantage- anyone considered setting off a shitload of volcanoes Ah, <laughs> uh, well you just drop a, a drop a nuke into vesuvius yeah, yeah. Great idea. Not, not even that just dropping like a bundles of dynamite into old faithful and yellowstone and just waiting <laughs> It's all faithful so, in Yellowstone or Yosemite, it doesn't matter. It's Yellowstone. Um, one advantage of this is that it's very cheap comparatively to other, other ideas, right? It's on the order of like a couple billion dollars a year to do a, a thorough aerosol injection um, geoengineering process, right? One rich guy like Jeff Bezos could do it, right? Fuck yeah, let's do it. Let's go. There are some potential problems, however. Don't care. Let's do it. Um, one of the problems is ozone depletion. I just said I didn't care it, what the problems were. Might, I, mm. might you may have some ozone depletion. That's debated. Oh, may, okay, fine. Run it. it. I don't would care. Change the color of the sky. Cool. Based. Awesome. That's Let's sick. do it. <laughs> change it, it would, to what? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I have white questions. White. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you might get a little bit of acid rain. Okay. Um, we already yeah, have that problem. We already have that problem, yeah. We don't know exactly what all the effects would be, right? Well, when's that ever stopped us before? <laughs> this is true, yeah. 
another problem with aerosol injection is once you start, you can't stop, right? Um, the aerosols are fairly short-lived, so you have to figure out how to actually reduce emissions and remove CO2 from the atmosphere while you're doing this whole process, right? If you stop doing aerosol uh, injection, global temperatures just shoot up like over a year. Like more than normal? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, you get a rubber awesome. band effect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one, that's probably the one we're going to do. Uh, I'm convinced we're we're going to do this at some point. I I I think you know it's if we're not we're we're just we're just going to do this one. It's going to be stupid. Uh, we're going to do it in the stupidest way possible. But there mm-hmm. are some other ideas. Looking right? forward to white skies and a, a, a job flying a balloon <laughs> around the upper atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could become a balloonist. <laughs> Actually, I want the artillery job. Right? If they I'll let me wear, the if they let me wear a weird oh, uniform, nice jaunty cap. Yes. Yeah. No, while no, while that, I'm like, that's why I want the balloonist job, so I can like. No, wear a I already took it. I'm I gonna, already said wear, dibs. No, yeah, bro, I'm, just, I'm, you're I'm, stuck nope. with the plane. Sorry, Sorry. You're on no, the plane. no, no. I'm gonna do the balloon because no. I want to. I want to wear no. the top hat. I want to wear the top hat. I wanted the balloon. You should have a funny mustache too. You already have a funny mustache. <laughs> so here, here's another idea for solar geoengineering, right? Oh boy. <laughs> the idea is you block the sun. Yes. 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 <laughs> Mr. Burns has entered the chat. <laughs> so block this is the sun. Block the sun. This is more permanent than aerosols, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, you can blocking this, the sun not super well known for being a reversible process <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's some there's several ways you can do this ranging from large terrestrial uh sunshades to like big mirrors on satellites right essentially you throw enough large mirrors in their orbit to block a predictable amount of sunlight everywhere well that's going to be a problem with the fucking kessler syndrome I got to just figure out how to schedule all these satellites. You know, if we just had some agency monitoring all the satellites, this would not be a problem. (laughs) But, you know, we live in this fucking capitalist bullshit where we can't schedule anything. Mm. Um, Just in time satellite scheduling. (laughs) Another idea, which was put forward by a physicist and science fiction author named Gregory Benford would be to put a 1,000-kilometer diagonal Fresnel lens at the L1 Lagrange point, right? Uh, the Fresnel lens is, is the one that, you know, it, it, it's sort of segmented, so it doesn't use so much material, right? Mm. And the Lagrange point is, um, there's several Lagrange points. These are points where a small body will be in sort of, gravitational equilibrium between the sun and the earth it will sort of stay in that same point there's five of them there's uh i, I hate but, when i have to fucking go out into the lagrange point and fucking <laughs> clean off the giant fresnel lens yeah. with a fucking cloth <laughs> it's fucking giant <laughs> <laughs> I like put the cloth on a on a pole like window cleaner shoes, like put it in front of the Fresnel lens, it is instantly vaporized. I sigh, grab another pole. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking, is this not isn't this just a Futurama episode with the with a pile of trash or something? No, oh, this, some of these are literally Futurama bits. 
we installed it backwards, we got more sunlight on the Earth. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is you put this giant Fresnel lens at the number one Lagrange point, which is the one directly between the sun and the Earth, such that 1% of the sun's light is redirected away from the Earth, right? Yeah, and into a killing beam. Yes. Welcome to Dark Earth. A, a killing beam around the Earth, though, also protects us from aliens. That's true. Yes. Okay, now I'm into this one. Um, so how exactly you get this thing there, I don't know, or how you manufacture it. Um, you have to manufacture it in orbit, right? You'd have I to. I think you probably have to, yeah. And, you know, I, but the author believes it can be done for under $10 billion. So, you know, that might be cheaper than, um, uh, than aerosol injection, assuming he is right, which mm. he is not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So another kind of solar geoengineering, which I think is, you know, the simplest and easiest one to uh, understand is to move the earth. These get better and better, man. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, fuck it. Okay. Just, <laughs> just back it up a little bit. Yeah, just back it up. Yeah, there's an, there's an astronaut giving us hand signals, like back, back, back. You're trying to do the you're trying to do the Philly thing. You're trying to you're 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 back trying to back, No, you know you you back it up, and just until it hits Mars, just a little bit, and then you bring it forward until it hits Jupiter. <laughs> And then you find something in the middle. No, so one way to reduce the amount and energy of sunlight that hits the Earth is to move it to a higher orbit, right? Um, and this is relatively easy to achieve, right? Assuming you have a lot of time. Which we don't. Which we don't. You find some big asteroids, you know, 100-kilometer diameter asteroids. You sla strap some boosters on them. And you slingshot them around the Earth and Jupiter a few times. Jupiter is a great way to get some extra gravity on you, right? Um, oh, von Neumann transfers, or exactly. whatever they're called. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And each oh. time you, you shove the Earth a little bit farther out, right? There's a couple of risks associated with this, though. Yeah, I'll right? say. Fucking yeah. playing interstellar pool with, <laughs> yeah. uh, exactly. with asteroids. I've seen the movie Melancholia, and I don't like how it ends. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. One, one of the risks is you might, you might get one of the asteroid transfers wrong, and it hits the Earth and kills everyone. Mm -hmm. That would be pretty bad. Uh, uh, at this point, on this day... <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I cast my vote against this. I would prefer this not happen. Another issue is that if you do this too aggressively, you might lose the moon. <laughs> I mean, that's also a problem with smaller asteroids, because the moon is, like, throwing itself in front of a bullet like a Secret Service agent for us <laughs> several thousand times a day. Yes. Um, another, another issue is this, this, this process will... With current technology, take a very, very long time, right? Which we, we don't have to solve climate change, right? But the other thing is the sun is only getting brighter until it goes red giant. So we have to do this at some point. I mean, this is presumably on a, like an astronomical time scale, so... Right. I think he could do it in about 2,000 years. Oh. No pressure. 
no pressure. Yeah. How long do we have until the sun gets like uh, appreciably brighter? I a think while. it's like a, a couple million years. No, well, yeah. no rush then. No, we do have to do it eventually. That's the thing. <laughs> or we could move with. I think by that point we're supposed to be on other planets, right? Well, like, yeah, but there'll be some kind of Earth Conservation Committee who's going to move uh, it out. Fucking yeah! It, the the entire population of Earth is National Park Service Rangers. It's all a historic <laughs> district. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got the Earth tour. <laughs> so that's solar geoengineering, right? Um, there's another type of geoengineering that solves a different problem. I think solves it more effectively, which is carbon dioxide removal. Getting the big suck. This is the thing that we, uh, like every climate pledge, assumes that we will invent. Well, we will invent some really practical carbon dioxide removal just out of nowhere, right? Mm. I mean, there already is a form of and carbon dioxide removal that works that we're going to talk about on the next slide, but yes. instead, mm -hmm. we're going to develop a machine that looks kind of like a, an Xbox or something, and yes. we're going to stack a bunch of them together, and it's going to suck all the carbon dioxide out, and then um, it. the thing is, we're going to have like waste carbon dioxide that we're just going to have to sequester somewhere? Yeah, because carbon dioxide is not like a, a chemical that is, you know, particularly useful for like fuel or anything mm. it's not useful for anything carbonated um, soda uh, car yeah carbonated soda <laughs> carbonated beer um extracting oil uh um, yeah packaging but like even then it's like mm -hmm. as we've seen in britain it's one of those things where your entire country collapses if you don't have any but you only need a little bit yes so the biggest problem with Solar geoengineering is it doesn't solve the other problems about CO2 in the atmosphere, right? You know, it may prevent sea levels from rising, but it doesn't prevent CO2 from doing other things. Like if you have high concentrations of CO2, like you might see in, say, a school, it makes you dumb and sleepy. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my, my little pet theory, just to give everybody some something more to be paranoid about, is that uh, CO2 causes uh, sort of like less noticeable, less measurable cognitive decline at far lower concentrations than previously realized, and we're all getting slightly dumber all the time. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. But the other thing is around 1,200 to 2,000 uh, parts per million, which you frequently see in school buildings, even new ones, <laughs> um, it does... <laughs> It does appreciably make you dumber mm -hmm. um, and sleepier. Um, now we're about 400 parts per million ambient right now, so you know we got a little bit to go. But uh, another issue with CO2 in the atmosphere is something called ocean acidification, right? Um, so if you imagine the ocean is a big keg of beer, right? But it's okay. flat beer. Ooh. Beer is flat. Uh, what you do to carbonate that beer is you add CO2 under pressure, right? And over the course of like 12 hours, uh, the beer becomes carbonated from the ambient pressure of the CO2. What if I so, prefer a naturally carbonated beer? Like I just, it, it's got yeast in there. Oh, well, then you put the yeast in there and then it ferments and then you trap the CO2 and sort of the same process, honestly, except the CO2 comes from the yeast. And we gotta invent to reverse to yeast. We'll talk about mm -hmm. that in a second. Oh no! Um, <laughs> so you know, essentially, like uh, as ambient CO two in the atmosphere increases, the CO two migrates into the ocean and makes it more acidic. It creates carbonic acid, 
right? You're essentially carbonating the ocean, right? Um, and this is uh, something that uh, disrupts some of the lowest parts of the food food chain, right? Your little tiny protists and your tiny shellfish, you know, all, all these sort of little teeny tiny itty bitty uh, marine organisms, they re- rely on a ocean with a specific acidity in order to create their tiny shells, right? And if there's enough carbonic acid in there, also known as carbonation, um, those shells disintegrate and the little teeny tiny uh, organisms also disintegrate that can't live, right? Oh, fuck, uh, that's depressing. Yeah. So, you know, this is, uh, and once you have the, like, the little teeny tiny organisms at the bottom of the uh, food chain start to disintegrate, then, you know, things higher on the food chain start to have problems because there's nothing to eat, right? Um, you know, in the most extreme situation, you wind up with an ocean that's almost exclusively made of jellyfish. Right. Yeah, I hate jellyfish. Don't, don't, don't love that. Yeah, 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 but at least, at least you have fewer fish, which is also the good. True, 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 yeah. true. So who's this, to say? <laughs> well, this also eventually causes issues for animals on land. Uh, incredibly. Yeah, I'm afraid. Uh, as mm-hmm. much, you, you hate the fish, but you need the fish. Yes, you I need understand. The fish, I understand. Yes. And you need fish other than jellyfish. <laughs> so actually removing CO2 from the atmosphere would be a good way to combat climate change if you could do it at scale. And there's yeah. some theories as to how you could do that. This is the most effective carbon capture technology yet devised. <laughs> yeah, it's called a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, wait. What's a tree? A tree A tree is it's like made of wood. Um, it has leaves. Trees? Um, this is why I never leave Philly. Yeah. Trees? Everywhere trees? <laughs> <laughs> So, one what, what, one of the ideas is you can just plant a lot of trees, and that's going to combat climate change. Um, a lot of, I, I believe, there's been a bunch of data that just came out recently about the largest tree planting program in the world, which is in India. Yes, which they planted like a couple trillion trees or some something like that, um, and uh, they all died. Oh, well, that's <laughs> turn, inspiring. Turn, turn, it turns out if you plant a whole bunch of trees. In places where there weren't previously trees, there's a reason why there weren't previously trees there. Um, (laughs) So the other option is you plant trees in places where there are trees, and then when the trees reach maturity, what you do is you cut down the trees and you put the trees in a hole, right? Okay. An open hole or like a covered hole? Oh, now you put it in like a bunker underground, right? Oh, okay. What? Yeah. Um, and this sequesters the carbon that the tree absorbed over its lifetime mm. underground. Now, you do have some issues here, which is the tree might start rotting, right? Which would release the carbon from the tree as it rots. So you need some kind of sterile environment and some way to enforce that, right? Which is why I think the obvious answer here is you put the trees in with some nuclear waste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a place of honor. No, nothing important or valued is stored here, apart from a shitload of trees. Yeah, pl- please feed me a tree every day. The <laughs> 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 nuclear waste disposal facility with a one-way tree valve. <laughs> we alternate a spent waste cask and, um, you know, a giant sequoia. <laughs> <laughs> So this would 
require you to store a ludicrous amount of trees underground. I I don't know what it is offhand, but it is a lot. But it is one idea, right? In the trillions, uh, presumably. Oh, right. it's a lot of fucking trees, yeah. And you know, those trees are, you know, have you seen lumber prices recently? Um, mm. All this shit is expensive. Speaking of expensive, we have direct carbon capture, right? You got your 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 CO2 atmospheric extraction machines. There's been a number of prototypes built of these, right? This is sort yeah, they of your- fucking better be, because that's the thing we've put the marker down on so far. Yeah, and we haven't done very well at it. Um, <laughs> Any this is day of, now. This is your, mm-hmm. like your basic dumb guy idea. Is like, well, what if we took a machine to take the carbon out of the atmosphere, right? So here's an example of one. Um, I believe this is one of the largest ever built. Um, but it, you know, it's, <laughs> that's not very large. It's not very large, yeah. Um, well, so you suck the CO2 out of the atmosphere. It's very expensive. It's very inefficient. It leaves you with a bunch of CO2 that you have to do something with. Right. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's much more expensive than sort of normal CO2 extraction from hydrocarbons, which is how you do industrial carbon dioxide otherwise. Right. So commercial reuse is difficult. Um, you know, so the best people have had the best idea people have had to uh, uh, do something with the CO two is to just inject it underground, right? Where oh, so we're not doing Mister Sucky's vacuum experience. Oh, isn't uh, isn't injecting a bunch of chemicals into the ground how we get things like uh, 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 flaming tap water and like massive earthquakes and shit? Sorry about you that. Know, this would be this would be CO two tap water. Oh, um, good. It's yeah. hard. It's fizzy. Like, by this point, it's more plausible to just be like, yeah, the way we sequester it is the government gives you a big square pressure vessel full of CO2 and you just have to keep it in your apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, this is this is your CO2 child. His name is Steve. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, one, one town that agreed to take on the first big CO2 capture project and, like, we're proud to announce we have the world's first sparkling tap water system. <laughs> <laughs> So if you eject the CO2 underground and you have the right geological formations, the CO2 essentially turns into a rock, right? Mm. Um, But another idea, which has been employed in Alberta, I believe, is to take the captured CO2 and inject it underground in order to extract oil. Ah, thank you, Canadian Texas. Yes. (laughs) Um, you know, it's the circle of life right there, right? And this is this is the one that uh this is the technology the oil companies really like because they're like, well, we can continue extracting oil if we just come up with carbon capture. Yeah, it feels right? the most nefarious. Yes. But it's a very impractical technology. This is, I believe, the largest CO2 sequestration machine in the world. It's in Iceland. Um, actually, this may not be the same one because this looks too lush to be Iceland. Uh, but the largest one was just turned on a couple days ago, which can offset the emissions of 820 cars. Wow. wow. Yeah, incredible. Um, and when you say offset, for how long? As oh, long as it's, it's running. 820 cars per year per year. Oh, <laughs> oh per yeah. year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fuck that's me. Jesus. So, so turning the machine on is the equivalent to turning off 820 cars. 
Okay, right. great. So all we need is, I don't know, six billion of those machines in the next Why don't 10 we years, make the whole planet out of the carbon capture machine? Yeah, no, <laughs> fuck it. Cli climate Stalin. Climate yep. Stalin. <laughs> if yep. you, if you, every time you touch the door handle of a car, a guy from the NKVD fucking shoots you. <laughs> it's not a bad idea, Alice. <laughs> It's got that sweet anarchist endorsement. Yeah, yeah. Just no more cars. Just blanket. Just overnight. Uh, if you touch a car, you fucking die. <laughs> All right. I'm at this point. I'm on board. Sorry, GTI. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's worth noting. I think that you know, you, you look at one of these machines, these gigantic, expensive machines that offset the emissions of 820 cars. You know, you could achieve that also by like. Painting a bike lane? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you could put a bike lane on a busy street. You could get the same amount of emission reductions. Oh, you um, can't you can't induce people to bike rides. Yeah, I, I can with this yeah. gun. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Solid. <laughs> Le learn to fucking bike, I say, chambering yeah. around with this fucking Makarov. You get one of those one of those like bikes with the machine gun on it, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Climate Stalin. Climate Stalin. Mm -hmm. Climate so, Stalin's a good one. Crucially, yep. not not related to historical Stalin, but rather taking the sort of like mid-war Stalinist approach of having realized that accommodation with the Nazis is impossible, uh, we now devote everything to it as national priority number one uh, of of like radically uh, restructuring our entire deal to do this one thing of uh, survival. Stop. Stalin is a complex figure. That's um, <laughs> true, and no one understands him like his woman. Yes. <laughs> so uh, one of the things is I, I haven't been able to read. Uh, I haven't seen in the articles is like okay, it's offsetting the emissions of eight hundred and twenty cars. Uh, we got to also understand like a concept of embodied carbon, which is you know they used carbon to make the steel to make the machine, you know stuff right. like that. I wonder. Yeah, what it's the got like a done. lead time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, they're intended to run exclusively off clean energy, which means you have to build, you know, the you have to build the windmills or the solar panels, more steel, yeah, you know, more uh, cement, or the, more or the, yeah. the, the, the nuclear power plant or something like that in order mm -hmm. to run them, mm -hmm. right? You know, and this is uh, this is a whole. I I am very skeptical of this technology, is what I'm saying. I mean, um, maybe yeah, I maybe, <laughs> maybe we will see uh, truly like fucking logarithmic growth and efficiency, but I fucking doubt it, man. I mean, if you actually started to you know look at this problem as being, you know, we need to make um, clean electricity as cheap as possible, as quickly as possible, right, to the point where large industrial processes like steel mills, like cement plants. Like other things that need really high heat, move to electric heating elements. That some of this embodied carbon stuff wouldn't be as big of a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't seem like that's the way stuff is going. <laughs> mm. No, because uh, ironically, the the fucking natural gas industry trying to sell gas as a, a bridging fuel, as an alternative oh, to coal. To oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The natural gas is, 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 is definitely, they're, they're trying to, you know, say this is, this is going to be the thing. And, you know, the, the annoying thing is, if you look at, like, emissions in, especially the northeast of the United States, where a lot of natural gas capacity was installed to replace coal, and the rest was nuclear power, 
the statistics show it's working, but <laughs> but you're also stuck on this natural gas, and now they're trying to retire the nuclear power in favor of the natural gas. Uh, you're putting yeah. in you're putting in some renewables, but not enough, and not as quickly as you need to. Um, <laughs> Shit's yeah. backwards. It's all ass backwards. Yeah. So anyway, um, another idea is something called ocean fertilization, right? Mm. So here's what you do. This sounds crazy. Let me hear it. As you're acidifying the ocean, there's more CO2 dissolved in the ocean, right? But some parts of the ocean are deficient in nutrients, right? If you have a lot of CO2 and a lot of nutrients, you get something called an algae bloom, right? Where you got a bunch of algae and phytoplanktons and little protist guys, they come up and they start growing really rapidly. They suck out all the CO2, they replace it with oxygen, right? Yeah, you can see these sometimes from boats. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and when they run out of CO2, they all die, uh, and they follow the ocean floor, and the carbon falls to the ocean floor with them, right? Um, so one idea is you artificially fertilize large swaths of the ocean, to create algae blooms, right? Uh, and they suck CO2 out of the ocean, which also sucks it out of the atmosphere, right? Uh, the best way to do it was with a whole bunch of tiny iron filings, right? Um, I'm not specifically certain of the biological processes involved here, but it works, apparently. Ocean chemtrails. Yes. Um, and this has been tried in practice several times actually and the number one thing that unites all those ocean acid uh, ocean fertilization trials is that they were done extremely unscientifically and without permission <laughs> <laughs> the cops can't stop you from throwing hundreds of tons of iron filings into the ocean if you outrun them <laughs> yes exactly that's the damn truth <laughs> it's a really slow speed chase 11 knots <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a Coast Guard cutter behind me. You keep telling me to stop throwing iron filings. I'm just like, no. <laughs> Can you prove I had any iron filings aboard? I don't have any iron filings aboard. <laughs> <laughs> what so, do you mean my boat is stuck in place to the iron filings? <laughs> just using those fucking like Greenpeace water cannons, but like to fire iron filings into mm-hmm. the ocean. So you're just shooting ferrofluid, you're directing mm-hmm. with a magnet. You look like some kind of supervillain. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, that's the job I want if I can't get climate artillery woman. <laughs> so there was an incident, I believe, in 2012, where the Hyata Salmon Restoration Corporation dumped 100 tons of iron into the ocean off the coast of uh, Hyata Gwaii, which is in northern Pacific Canada. It's the island just north of, uh, the big island just north of Vancouver Island, right? The idea being they would grow a huge algae bloom, which would be feedstock for the salmon, and also they could sell carbon offsets off of it, right? Mm. They did this without permission, and everyone got really mad at them. Uh, but you know what happened? Uh, salmon stocks quadrupled the next year. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, so- I'm sold. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah hard save, yeah, actually. Uh-huh. Correlation Dis- is not causation. Shut don't, up, don't, don't care. Shut Dis- up, disrespect the Canadian Coast Guard. Throw iron filings <laughs> into all bodies of water you find. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to save the planet whether you want it or not. 
as I dump <laughs> hundreds of tons of iron filings overboard. Just I mean, ideally what you just do ripping is... ripping beams out of buildings and dumping mm. them in the ocean. You combine <laughs> this with the chemtrails, right, and you have a balloon yeah. or a plane that is simultaneously dumping chemicals into the air and the water. That's efficiency. I believe that's how Snowpiercer happened. <laughs> I'm not seeing a downside here. I also am not seeing a downside. Cool train. Yeah. Uh, very cool on account of it being freezing everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so so that's carbon dioxide capture. Now, I, there's another type of geoengineering which I thought we'd include. Mm. which um, I don't think gets as much press as it should, which is the idea of digging a big hole. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm very into this, but let me just say in defense of the Snowpiercer method, right? If it gets too cold, all we gotta do, burn a shitload more uh, fucking uh, shit to generate more carbon emissions. All we have to do is like encourage all of the MAGA guys. All we have to do is like go on TV and be like, we'd be so owned and triggered if you rolled coal even more than you were currently doing. I believe on a long enough timeline, we are actually heading for another ice age, but it's a couple thousand years out. Um, damn. Yeah. <laughs> So we do at some point have to raise the temperature of the Earth. Keep this in mind um, <laughs> in order to keep it stable. Um, well, so, that's 4022's problem. Exactly, right? So one method of containing sea level rise, I think a lot of people focus on sea level rise um, with regard to climate change, and you know, I think I have a solution here, uh, is what if we just dug a big hole and put the excess seawater in there, right? Incredible. All yes. Right. I see we're showing hole. Yeah. yeah we're we, showing... What we've got to do is demolish the state of California, excavate it, and then mm-hmm. we all have seafront property in Arizona Bay. Uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, I think we should do that to New Jersey as well. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, but I think one thing we should do to explain the big hole and show that maybe this is a practical idea. We should talk about some similarly scaled projects throughout history, right? So I want to talk about some continent-scale water resource management projects. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Starting out with Atlantropa. (laughs) Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. So... I think all these projects we're about to look at could be episodes in and of themselves. Um, so, Atlantropa, right? It's the 1920s, and you're in Germany, and Ooh. your German, your German architect Hermann Sorgel, right? And he sorts of sees what's coming, right? You know, uh, the Nazi Party was going to fight Europe, right? Um, or he came up with this idea slightly before the Nazi Party came to came to power, right? or starting to come to power, but he was also afraid the communists would come to power, which was obviously worse, right? Um, the fucking libs! The goddamn, yeah, the fucking libs. <laughs> <laughs> he proposes a sort of pan-European project to alleviate some of the crises of capitalism occurring in Europe, uh, namely by colonizing Africa more than they already were. Of course. Right? 
Yeah, right. Uh, but doing it by way of very large public works, right? Oh, like the Suez Canal, but more. Oh, a lot more. Yeah. Or doing Cape Town to Cairo, but for water. Yes, in a way. So the core of the Atlantropa project was to construct a giant hydroelectric dam across the Strait of Gibraltar uh, between Spain <laughs> and Morocco, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And subsequently, lower the Mediterranean Sea by 200 meters. Okay, this is me playing fucking city skylines fucking around with dams. <laughs> <laughs> this would create some extra arable land in Europe and Africa. Uh, could be used to control the salinity of the Mediterranean Sea. You have a freshwater Mediterranean Sea over time. It's time so for up. Big Sicily. Yes, Big Sicily. Well, there's also going to be a smaller dam off the coast of Sicily to lower the basin uh, east of Sicily even more. Um, well, they're also going to construct a few other large dams, uh, most significantly in Africa, right? On the Congo River around Lake Chad, right? Uh, Lake Chad today is rather small, but if you dammed up the basin, it would return to its... Um, prehistoric state as Lake Megachad, right? <laughs> that is the academic term they refer to the old Lake Chad as. Incredible. Uh, yes. Expands the size of Lake Chad, refuses to elaborate, leaves. <laughs> and, um, and they would use this extra fresh water to irrigate the Sahara, right? Um, hmm. And Herman Sorgel thought of everything, including like protecting historic monuments like Venice. Uh, he was going to surround Venice with the world's largest infinity pool. Um, <laughs> what? Wor world's right. first and largest infinity pool. Um, and so this, this is something will maybe a theme as we look at other uh, water resource projects of the scale. Uh, people in Northern Europe really liked this project. They thought it was a great idea. And everyone in Southern Europe and Africa fucking hated it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all of the people in their nice like Riviera villas don't want to be 200 miles inland yeah. exactly yeah uh, this is sort of briefly popular in Weimar Germany um, but uh, when the Nazis took power they decided it would be cheaper to invade Poland um, right um, Fuckers. after the war it gained popularity again Hermann Sorgel was still alive and and it was it was like okay how are we going to supply electricity to a growing Europe? Atlantropa seems like the way to do it, right? And then practical commercial nuclear power happened. So you know they were like, oh, uh, we we'll just do this, just use the atom, right? Uh, and the project died again. The Atlantropa Institute survived until like 1960, when Herman Sergel was out cycling and got hit by a car and died. F. That was the end of Atlantropa. Fucking uh, paradox game alternate history vibes here, though. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the main thing, one of, one, of the main, one of the main aspects of this project was that Europeans would more thoroughly colonize Northern Africa. Right? Mm -hmm. That was absolutely part of the project. This is not like a... Um, you know, project for the good of humanity. This is a project for, for fucking Italians to go to Libya and set up Gabagool shops. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, Lake Giga Chad would have displaced, what, millions of people? Millions of people, yeah. I mean, admittedly, you would have a arable Sahara Desert, maybe. Although that would have had knock-on effects to the Amazon rainforest. Hey, this is Justin in post-production again, just dropping in to say the reason that irrigating the Sahara might affect the Amazon is because the Amazon rainforest is, in fact, fertilized by a constant stream of dust from the Sahara that drifts in over the Atlantic Ocean. So, you know, if you irrigate it, uh, you're not going to get that dust. Uh, that can cause some problems. It's, uh, it's a global system, this climate stuff. Anyway. Never trust Germans with maps. Yes. So anyway. Once they start painting the maps in different colors, you got to no, get the no. fuck out. No, absolutely let's, not. Let's look at a Georgian with a map. Oh, no. Um, oh, boy. Another continent-scale water management project was Stalin's great plan for the transformation of nature. Yeah, we're out right. of climate Stalin and into regressible, actual Stalin. <laughs> All right. So some of these ideas were okay. Um, so the Soviet Union undertook or tried to undertake several massive waterworks projects in its, in its existence. Most of them were sort of started off by Stalin. Um, and a lot of them were to alleviate, you know, dust bowl-like conditions in a lot of Soviet agricultural regions, right? This yeah, is, that, that poster says victory over drought. Yes. Um, you can see there's um, plans for constructing windbreaks, you know, like forests, right? And there was like, a huge campaign to like you know popularize windbreaks amongst you know the recently collectivized collectivized farms like hey you gotta you gotta plant these trees you gotta have these windbreaks you're gonna you, you're gonna have better arable land right um but there were also big irrigation projects right um especially in central asia and as they irrigated farmland in Central Asia, you can see here's the Aral Sea. I think this is from the 80s when it was already like pretty much smaller than it was. Mm. Um, and I think this is in like 2012 or so. Uh, you may notice there's a lot less water. Yeah, not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. What you need is to dig out the big hole there. Well, that would be an option. Yeah, I mean, you'd have a lot of, I mean, there is a question as to whether the the big hole should be freshwater or saltwater. Um, I lean towards a freshwater big hole because you can use that water for a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, now, there were a couple like big canal projects like uh, the Moscow Canal, the Volga Don Canal, other stuff like that. You know, especially in the European side of Russia and the yep. Soviet Union, um, all built with uh, with uh, forced labor, but who's counting? Uh, they also had sort of an issue where they were a little the the little smaller than they should have been. Um, mm. You know, they were the the draft of a vessel you can get through these canals isn't very good. Um, they're not very wide. Um, they weren't actually very practical for shipping. They are very popular with tourists now, though. Mm. Um, the biggest problem, the Soviet, the uh, biggest uh, project the Soviet Union attempted to undertake. Uh, were some of the Northern River reversal projects, right? Oh, hell yes. Yes. So there were, there are a lot of rivers in Siberia, right? Because Siberia gets a fair amount of rain sometimes, right? And they sort of flow north, 
right to the Arctic Ocean, and they flow away from any arable land because these are all, you know, Siberia is all like two inches of topsoil and then rock, right? Mm-hmm. One idea they had is if you could reverse some of these rivers and have them flow south into Central Asia, into more arable parts of the Soviet Union, right? And then you could you could start farming, you would have a large amount of fresh water, you know, that you would otherwise not be able to use and which would otherwise flow, as Soviet uh, climatologists said, they flow uselessly into the Arctic Ocean. Um, <laughs> Question. How the fuck do you reverse the flow of a river? Dams. Big ones. Lots of dams. Huh. I mean, we did with the United States did it in Chicago. So you're looking at like massive waterworks to get this done. And this was a project. This is one of the only aspects of the plan for the transformation in nature that was pursued after Stalin died um, because it seemed like a great idea. As we got into the 80s and a lot of the engineering work had been done, there were a lot of questions about, oh, my God, is this going to um, they thought it might make the climate colder um, because you wouldn't have the warm water flowing into the Arctic Ocean. Uh, the increased salinity would make some of the ice melt despite it being colder. Um, it, it was, it was like a huge, con- that no one knew exactly what was going to happen. And of course, uh, Reagan was in the meantime, bankrupting the Soviet Union. So, you know, in 1986, after all the engineering work had been done, you know, after the plans had been devised, uh, the project was canceled. Cowards. Yeah. <laughs> Should have done it. Fucked around. Should have just done it. Yeah, I, I think, I think it would have. We'd live in a more interesting world if they had fucked around, mm-hmm. seeing what happened. Even, even true of the Germans, you know. <laughs> Another nice continent scale water management project is the North American Water and Power Alliance. Nawapa. The the Nawapa. Yeah, Nawapa. So this is um. But in the U.S., this is like the big kahuna. This is, there are people who still think we should do this today. Um, should, should we still do this today? I have mixed opinions. All right. So this is your sort of, this is your peak of modernist, uh, modernist ideology about the environment, right? Uh, you know, and it came very close to actually happening. Hmm. So in the 1960s, water consumption in America, but especially in California, was um, growing exponentially, right? And something had to be done. Um, they had already constructed massive waterworks in uh, California. Um, I understand you're supposed to read the book Cadillac Desert about that. I haven't read it, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they, they, they had drained several arable valleys in order to provide water to Los Angeles, for instance. They had created these huge reservoirs. Um, you know, the 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 west in general though was still lacking in water um and the water consumption they have was reached ra- rapidly hitting a barrier right yeah see the documentary chinatown for more on this yes um and in the general vicinity of the west coast were several useless rivers right mm-hmm. you know this is play- hurtful to call a river that okay <laughs> Listen, the word we're, we're I, I'm a modernist right now. 
I'm not, I'm not saying this in my capacity as uh, a modern person. I'm, I'm saying this as a 1960s coked up engineer guy. <laughs> <laughs> so among them were the Fraser River, the Yukon River, the Peace River, and the Laird River, right? Um, the Fraser flows down to Vancouver through the Rocky Mountain Trench. The Yukon flows north to Alaska. The I'm not sure where the Peace and the Laird are, but they also flow through the Yukon northward, right? And they flow to largely non-arable regions. You know, they're they're flowing through this this land, which is again, it's like an inch of topsoil and then bedrock, right? You can't use it for agriculture. Um, mm. So the Parsons Corporation in Pasadena, California saw this and thought, hmm, well, what if we just took these rivers and rerouted them to where the water was needed? And yeah. they came up with this thing called the North American Water and Power Alliance, right? Um, and the big project here was a massive, I think, 1,300-foot dam, right, in the, uh, in the Rocky Mountain Trench um, that would have created a 500-mile-long reservoir for the rerouted Fraser, uh, Yukon, and Peace rivers, right? Um, this would create a huge amount of hydroelectricity. Um, it would also allow them to redirect a lot of the water to other uh, areas in the United so States, right? You're talking about uh, a, a dam double the height of Hoover Dam. Oh, like triple the height. Shit. Great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And much, much longer, too. Uh, you're going from one Rocky Mountain Ridge to the other Rocky Mountain Ridge. Again, city skyline shit. Yes. And this water was going to be redirected to several places, right? So some of it was going to go to a uh, transcontinental canal that would have gone all the way from the Rocky Mountains to the Great Lakes, right? Some was going to be pumped to the headwaters of the Missouri River and sort of feed the uh, Mississippi River system, right? Uh, and a whole big bunch was going to be pumped over the Rocky Mountains at this uh, spot, which would be the Sawtooth Lifts, right, by gigantic atomic pumping stations. Hell oh, yes! That's fucking awesome! Yeah. Let's go! <laughs> and it would then flow into several basins in California, but also into the headwaters of the Colorado River, um, and it would be distributed through several uh, river systems through Southern California. I think there's some branch off to Central California, which isn't shown here. Um, and there was, uh, it, it, it would flow down into Mexico. Uh, I believe also there was something that went down to Baja, Mexico, uh, Baja, California, um, allowing, you know, agricultural development of all these areas. Um, you, you would, you would completely change the geography of America with this project, right? You would have much more fresh water supply everywhere, even in the Great Lakes, right? Um, at the cost of fresh water supply in, you know, the Yukon and Alaska, right? Which, how much do you need, you know? I mean, not a lot of people live there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, baby. Um, and we've killed off the wildlife there pretty well regardless, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this project came really close to happening. Um, the only thing that really stopped it was we actually 
there was a sudden decrease in water use or a cease in the increase in water use in uh, Southern California and the Central Valley, which um, suddenly made this project seem less urgent, right? Mm. Well, that's um, not going to last. I mean... Well, I, I, it, it's surprising how much you can limit water use when you install water meters. Mm. Um, <laughs> Even when, still, when I've seen their have, reservoirs. Oh, yeah. I mean, we may have to do this. The other thing was the Canadians really did not like this project. Oh well, fuck him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Build, yep. build the build the mega Hoover Dam, where we will release the fourth and fifth blackface pictures. Justin, uh, I believe there is a whole city called Prince George right about here that would be submerged. Hate to see it. Sorry. <laughs> so the the Canadians didn't uh, like it. Um, one of the ideas that Parsons Corporation put forth was, uh, "What if we annex Canada?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing they put for of eighteen is, twelve round two, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you, you you know we get you get what you deserve. Uh, <laughs> another, another idea put forward through through this plan was a lot of the excavating through the big mountains you would do with peaceful atomic explosions. Sure. Which is an episode we should do at some point. It's, it, um, it's, it's, it's only fresh water for, uh, you know, uh, telling crops and shit. The, you don't... What's a little radiation between friends? Just a little bit of radiation. Look, it, we're not using enhanced radiation weapons. Yeah, doing, season to taste. Exactly. Um, so the Parsons Corporation is still like an engineering firm to this day, and they still like vaguely promote it. Um, there was a modified version of this plan called the Grand Canal, which mostly focused around the um, waterworks in the east around Hudson's Bay uh, to feed extra water into the Great Lakes. Um, that gained a lot of traction in the 90s. Uh, but, you know, that, uh, this, this didn't, it got really close to happening and then didn't happen. It was all really, it was very feasible with the technology of the 60s. Uh, couldn't do it today. Um, <laughs> yeah, people don't like setting off atomic bombs nearly as much. Back then, I, they loved that shit. Oh shit! Yeah, I mean it's fucking great. People come out, come out in the town main street and watch the atomic bomb go off. Hell yeah! <laughs> Have a themed beauty pageant around it, Miss Atomic Bomb. Oh hell yeah! Um, so yeah, these are some of our previous uh, big hole style projects. Well, we have to maybe consider the actual um, ramifications of digging the big hole, mm. right? So, okay, say you're going to dig a big hole to put the sea level rise in. Yes. Uh, I, I lifted this from Jason Ditsian on Medium, who did some calculations, right? So, you know, one of your worst case scenarios, I believe, put forward by NASA was, you know, eight feet of sea level rise by 2100, right? Mm -hmm. And with a sea level surface of 361,740, uh, 361,740,264 square kilometers of ocean, it's uh, just over 900,000 cubic kilometers of hole you have to dig, right? Mm -hmm. which is 38 Lake Baikals or 75 Lake Superiors. Oh, Jesus Christ. So right here, you're looking in front of you, this is the Bagger 288, right? 
Mm-hmm. Which is great lo- machine being used evilly to dig lignite coal out in Germany. Exactly, right? Um, one of these backer 288s can remove 240,000 cubic meters of overburden daily, which is uh, 0.00024 cubic kilometers. <laughs> I see where you're going with this, but tell me the numbers anyway. So it would take. Um, Three billion seven hundred and sixty-eight million one hundred and twenty-nine thousand one hundred and sixty-six uh and what's two thirds of a day? Sixteen hours. Sixteen hours of bagger two eight eight dash days to remove that volume of earth. Now until twenty one hundred, there are about 28,590 days. So in order to dig this hole, we need about 132,000 bagger 288s. <laughs> yeah, if it takes one guy 10 minutes to dig a hole, then it takes 10 guys one minute to dig a hole. Listen, this is basic. The, 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 <laughs> this, is, this is relatively... I, I, I believe these numbers make sense. Okay. <laughs> now, uh, theoretically, another option would be to come up with an excavator bigger than the Bagger 288, right? We could try that. Um, another option is you could use nuclear bombs to dig the hole. Another question is where do you dig the hole? How, you know, are, are we digging, are we letting seawater in? Are we creating a big freshwater reservoir, which is what I would do? Um, you know, where are we putting it? I, I don't know. This add, is where I add, leave it. Add, add a fourth Great Lake. Lake Superior. Oh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, but you need 75 of them. Well, you know, it's one big It's one lake. It's just huge. That's why it's Lake Superior. Like, really, it's really, really deep. That would be one yeah, option. Yeah, yeah. That's why Lake Baikal has a smaller surface area, but it's very, very deep. Whereas, um, Lake Superior is comparatively shallow. So this is this is where I open up to the floor for discussion. Where do we put the big hole and how do we do it? North Atlantic. What just <laughs> like where where on the North Atlantic? I was though. about to say there's oh, already there's hold already hold water hold there. Hold there. Hold there's already do, do water you, there. Do you want to like lower the sea uh, level? No, are we, we get, rid of we get rid of Australia. Are we, are we dredging? Yeah, we're dredging. We're lowering the seafloor. Underwater a- bagger two eighty eight. <laughs> well, that's a little bit easier because you can just you know use a, a you know dredging is um, very much a, a, a well developed technology where you can remove a shitload of earth with just a, a water pump. So that is an option. Um, mm. I think now that we have synthetic diamonds, we should expand one of those giant di- open cast diamond mines in Siberia. Uh, that's another option, yeah, because a lot of those are really, really big. Um, mm-hmm. I think the blog I read mentioned that we would only need about 500,000 of those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. So, uh, yeah, that's um, this is how we're going to solve sea level rise, although not the other knock-on problems. Uh, in fact, I think we could. I, I think it depends on where you put the big hole. You could maybe get some better precipitation in some parts of the world. I think if you put it put it in the Sahara Desert, that would not be a, 
a bad idea because you get a little bit more rain. Although you would also lose the dust blowing into the Amazon, which is what fertilizes the Amazon. But on the other hand, we're already getting rid of the Amazon. So I, just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't fucking, I don't fucking know. Personally, we're going to have I, to do something. <laughs> yeah. And I have, I have a solution to this. Uh, next I'm slide, right. please. We just do climate Stalinism. We do climate Stalinism. We do climate Stalinism. You have to do climate Stalin. Yeah, I mean that's the only way you can do it. Uh, listen, listen. Many, many, many unimaginable numbers of people are going to die if we do nothing, or in fact, not enough. And so, therefore, we need a leadership style that is like willing and able to accept killing huge numbers of people in a non-eugenics-based way, which is the other big fucking alternative on the table, in yes. order to forestall the worst consequence, climate Stalin. Yeah, exactly. We just need to take all the kulaks and put them to work <laughs> building the North American Water and Power Alliance. That's right. That's right. Um, by I, which I, I mean I, I, the Canadians. <laughs> Listen, I am willing to be cancelled after the communism episode. I am willing to to mm -hmm. uh, devote my labor to digging the big fucking canal. Okay. Yeah, it'd be kind of nice if I could just go out and get paid to like do something with a shovel all day. You know, oh, I'm sure you don't get paid. Oh well, you get paid, no, like, you, you get paid in like unfiltered cigarettes and not being shot. <laughs> right, give me, give me like some beer. Give me like some decent beer. For pay, let me, let me get like a like an Egyptian uh, deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Maybe we're just fucked, but like also, yeah, yeah but like uh, the we're, fucking we're pessimism is worse, man. That's I true. Don't... No, you're right. You're right. We have to do climate stop. I side on as the anarchist contingent of this podcast. Uh, we're going to do climate Stalinism. Hmm. I, 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 it's like regular Stalinism, except it's good. Is it? Is it Look extent, at you! Look at you, learned and growing. There's, there's <laughs> an extent to which I mean, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna experience some of the worst effects of climate change. I, I I'm a, I'm not most the most doomer guy. I did see this 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 video recently on on the YouTube's called um, uh, "Nature Abhors a Dome." Uh, <laughs> it's like this 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 two hour episode about accepting how you're going to get fucked by climate change. Uh, I think it, I, I recommended viewing. Um, oh yeah, I, I love say. to read books titled things like Accepting Climate Doom or like The End of Ice or shit like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, you just gotta understand exactly how the place you live is going to get fucked by climate change and sort of prepare appropriately. You know, I, 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 have, I have come to accept that at some point in my life I'm going to be hit by like a gigantic, like category five hurricane, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just gotta, I, I guess, I don't know. We're gonna see some weird shit, and that's the best case scenario. But yes. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about like humanity in general, even if we end up in fucking Cloud Atlas shit, you know? I think we're gonna be. Fucking, we're gonna to adapt to shit because we're good at adapting to shit. The only question is how many people die needlessly in the process of us learning how to do that. 
And so far, that number's only going up. Yes. I try not to be blasé about it, but what else can you fucking do? I mean, they don't let me yeah. decide the policy. <laughs> exactly. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the guy who's uh, deciding that we have to like. Uh, I don't know. Uh, just just fucking strip mine the third world for lithium because we can't be bothered to put up some damn wires. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the guy building uh, new coal power plants, and even the guy who's building new coal power plants isn't the guy who's building new coal power plants because somebody fucking told him to. Like say, uh, President Xi has decided no more new coal power plants. Uh, it funded, well, not domestically, but internationally by the Chinese. So that's you know. a good first step, I guess. Mm -hmm. Should have been twenty-five years ago, but what can you do? Twenty-five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's your whole reaction to climate change right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. The the way I feel about it is like um you remember the, the Mystery Science Theater uh episode with Zap Rousdower, Canadian hero? There's a bit where he like sort of leans back in his double denim and Crow goes, I hope there's beer on the sun. That's kind of how I feel about climate change. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, it's gonna be. I I hope there's still treats. I hope I still get fucking Ferrero Rocher in resettlement population seventy seven or whatever. <sighs> well, that was a bonus episode. Yeah, I hope you're fucking happy. We depressed the shit out of you. We recorded two bonus episodes oh. back to back, and from now on, we are back on schedule. Yes, we got actually behind schedule regulars. Shut the fuck up, Liam. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. You uh, paid to see it. Yeah, tell tell the Jew to shut up. What a surprise! <laughs> well, uh, congrats on um, congrats on uh, getting on both Islamophobia cow and anti-Semitism cow the same day. <laughs> yeah, uh, just just for the record, uh, holy shit! I can talk about anti-Semitism not in any way invoking Israel. When you talk about oh, well, they're just using it to shield from criticism of Israel, you're bringing that into the conversation. The fucking Suck Islamophobia captive bolt pistol. Blow me. Listen. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm calling that. That was the episode. All right. uh, good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Bye. <sighs>